Welcome to the Few Podcast. Never in the field of human contact was so much owed by so many to so few. So you want to become one of the few. You can't skip steps. You have to put one foot in front of the other. Things take time. I have a dream. dream. Hear inspiring stories from the few and learn about what it takes to turn your dreams into a reality. It's a day for all Australians, isn't it? It's a day that brings us all together. Hosts, Boo and Sean. Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of The Few with me, Boo, and my exceptionally good friend with a it's got a bit of green there, mate. It looks like a bit of a bit of a rebrand going on there, Shawnee. Mate, uh, yeah, just went through a bit of a rebrand. Uh, very uh, strategically, it took about twelve months to create it. New messaging, new branding, colours, the the flag up here, obviously, that, that we can see if you're watching this online. Yeah, it's a, a definitely a, a very different delivery of my persona, I suppose. And you're looking pretty chiselled too, mate. I have to say, you're, you've been working out. like You're looking like under the nose, very arny uh, at the moment. <laughs> That's fucking doubtful. But anyway, uh, I'll, I'll say thank you. It's, uh, yeah, just better habits, you know, like going through, as I said, rebrand. There's been a lot of that, I think, outside the business as well in, in you know, I suppose, reinvention of myself and really just leveling up over the last, you know, six to 12 months, as you would have seen. But yeah, I love it. It's represented in the new brand, the new colors, the new messaging, all of that. So really, uh, really enjoying the, um, how it's been received. That's awesome, mate. We'll, we'll have to get you on the, have to get you on the podcast at some stage. Yeah, great. That sounds like a good idea. <laughs> hey, I'm really excited uh, about uh, today's guest. It's always uh, a great opportunity for us to leave our small little island over here and venture over to our very, very big brother in the US of A there. And today's guest is a, is a, a bit of a beast in the uh, advertising and marketing world. He's, uh, he's survived the cut and thrust of the ad market in, uh, in New York City. Like many of uh, our guests here on The Few, he's made that jump into into his own world he's creating his own brand creating a, a great footprint for himself so with uh, no further ado let's uh, introduce our guest today adam pos now call sign pos g'day uh pos how are you mate thanks for joining sean and i in the few welcome adam gentlemen I, I first of all thank you for having me but you know how hard it is as a podcast host to sit here and watch you two guys banter and not say a word i mean how do you not talk about how do you not talk about sean's hair i got a haircut <laughs> today just for you guys i said you know what I'm going down under, and I, oh, look at that. That's why he keeps a hat on there. Look so, that, gentlemen, mate. this is 14 weeks of lockdown. Lockdown locks. We call those lockdown locks, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Well, I'm awesome. Happy to be here, guys. And good evening. Good evening to me, and good morning to you. Great stuff. Now, well, what I wanted to do, uh, Adam, is, is as part of the, the few, you know, it's, it's really about people who have taken their, their journey of life and, and found a way to, to do what they really love and what they're passionate about. And clearly, podcasting is one of those things. As I said, I kept you on mute until we gave you an opportunity to speak just in case you jumped in. Uh, actually, no, I didn't, but uh, I should have. But anyway, so we'd love to, to hear a little bit, of, little bit of the backstory. Like, where did you start off, I suppose, in your career? Obviously, you're now into the, the talent space, but I hear that it was a bit of a very different uh, experience when you started out. And having the best nickname to, to launch a podcast as well. 
it worked out well. It worked out well. So first and foremost, again, thank you guys for having me so much. Happy to meet you, Sean Boo. I had on, on the podcast a few weeks back. That should be airing soon. Really excited to, to share that. And I love just, I mean, that's the beauty of everything that we do here in this digital world that we could connect like this and create a platform, a canvas for us to have amazing conversations and, and share knowledge and our, and our crazy story. So as I like to say here, long story long, but I'll keep it short for you guys. Born and raised New Yorker, something I, I take a ton of pride in. I love my city. Born here, born in Brooklyn raised out in the burbs after that. I knew since college, I always had this kind of business marketing entrepreneurial bug. And that's what I did right after university. And I spent 15 years working in advertising and marketing here in New York City in account management, digital strategy, social strategy, really growing up with the internet, growing up with Facebook and MySpace and all that stuff before it is now. I worked for a number of different advertising agencies. I worked B2B, B2C. I worked uh, brand side, as we like to call it, at a satellite radio company called SiriusXM. Not sure if you guys are familiar, home of the great Howard Stern here in New York. I worked for SiriusXM for five years in direct-to-consumer marketing. So I really have a broad background in all aspects of marketing, B2B, B2C, online, offline, direct-to-consumer, e-commerce. And then after Sirius, I went over to another little company called American Express Consumer Credit Cards. Did that for a couple of years before returning to Adland, a place that really was a calling for me. And I found myself working at what I thought was my forever job, working for the great Gary Vaynerchuk. I don't know how big Gary V is down under over there, but Gary V is tremendous. Uh, infamous, mate. Infamous like everywhere else. Infamous. He's made his way here. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He's been down there a couple of times. He, he, he even did a trip a couple of years back where he did it in like 24 hours, like some crazy 48 hour back and forth trip. I also, I had the opportunity to, I spoke on stage uh, alongside Gary in LA. No, it was in Las Vegas actually. That was about nice. five years ago. So uh, I had a good 15, 20 minutes up in the back of the room to chat to him. So uh, yeah, good guy. He's a good dude. Yeah. So just to kind of wrap the story up so we could get the show on the road here, you know, I was working for, for Gary Vee and I thought it was my forever job. I thought it was the grass was greener on the other side, but it wasn't. And I knew almost immediately because for two reasons. One, on their side, I, I, I really truly don't feel like I was set up for success, but I really need to take ownership of my inability, you know, six, seven months in to really perform at the level and what they needed me to do. I just you know, self-awareness, looking in the mirror for a moment. I didn't do what I was hired for. And ultimately I lost my job. I was 35 at the time. And that was a real kick in the ass. You know, after doing what I thought was my career and my path that I set out on, it was that real kick in the face moment where I had to take a step back and say, am I good at this? Is this what I want to be doing for the rest of my life? And I sat there with Gary on the day I got let go. Gary and I have a good relationship, had a good relationship. And we sat there for about an hour. And the first thing he said to me is like, listen, don't let this be a reflection of who you are. He's like, this just didn't work out. The timing wasn't right. It just wasn't the right situation from you. It's not because you're not smart. It's not because people don't like you. It just wasn't the right time and place. But unfortunately, it's just not working out here. And it's best that we part ways. But he said something to me that stuck with me forever. He said, you need to stop focusing on all those things that you suck at and double down on your strengths. Because so many times in our past, people are telling you to work on things that you're not good at, work on things and be better. Of course, there's certain things in your life like being a good human, learning how to tie a shoe. Like, you know, there's certain things you should work on. But when you think about it from a career perspective, if I've been doing something for 15, 16 years and I'm really not at a level that I should be at, maybe it's time to look elsewhere and think about those things that I really am good at. I'm good at this, what we're doing now. I'm good at connecting. And most importantly, I'm good at building relationships, right? Because that's really what my superpower is. I'm a connector. I'm a conduit. And that's what I do best. So Gary and I start talking and he's like, well, what do you think you could do? What else have you been thinking about? And I said, well, Gary, one of my good friends is a recruiter in finance. And before I could finish my freaking sentence, Gary says to me, dude, 
you would be a kick-ass recruiter. So I went out and I didn't just jump right into recruiting. I thought about it for a bit. But let me tell you guys about, if you have a quick second, there was a moment a couple of days later after, you know, the, the I walked out the door, I went to a bar at 11 o'clock in the morning in New York, tied one on. I had to. It's super cliche, right? Like I had to. And it was cold. It was an April day. It was, and here's the, here's the fucked up thing. It was April 1st and April 1st is April Fool's Day. I don't know if you guys celebrate April Fool's Day. And, and so for me, April Fool's Day is always the day that the joke was on me. Kind of in a weird kind of movie set if you want to do it there. But, um, my wife is working, the law firm she was working at the time was only about five, five blocks away up a Park Avenue here in New York City. I walked outside. I called her, had the conversation, which was terrible. That's a whole other podcast. And she's like, well, why don't you come up to my office? And I said, I'll be there in about an hour. I have a stop to make. And I went to the bar and cliche, I tied one on. Literally, I think I was, it was me and some old dude at the end of the bar. And he looked over, he's like, would you get fired? I'm like, what? How, how the fuck? How do you know that? He's like, no one comes into a bar unless you're an alcoholic. <laughs> at 11.30 in the morning, he's like, you don't look like a boozer. I'm like, oh, all right, that's cool. But it was a couple days later where after everything kind of sunk in and I was like, oh, am I really not going to be working in advertising and marketing anymore? Like I really had that moment when I was like, is this it? Like, am I really going to take a deep breath and, and start a new profession, which I have no idea about, you know, at 35, like switching careers? That was a tough pill to swallow. I mean, I had moments of thinking about, you know, maybe and no knock on anybody that works at Home Depot or Best Buy, but like, you know, I like to work with my hands. Maybe I should go to Home Depot and go down the management track there and run a Home Depot or I'm into electronics. Maybe I should go to Best Buy and maybe that's a career path in me. Maybe I should drive an Uber. I don't know what I should do, but I need to support my family. We just bought a house. We moved out of the city to the burbs. Big bills coming down the pipe. Just, just at that moment when you're talking about Best Buy, Costco, got to do something, right? There's a, it's that moment in life, isn't it, where it, there's a zero parachute, yeah? And and particularly if you're the sort of personality that goes all in on your career, yeah? What we've sort of seen here on The Few and I've certainly observed in life is it's at that moment we find this deep reserve of energy and creativity that we never really harnessed before because of that, like, absolute peak stress. Did that happen to you? Boo, the treasures are in your shit pit. The treasures are at your lowest. The treasures are going to be when you're at the bottom of that well and you think there's no way of climbing up. And that was my bottom for me. And I'm going to tell you, the, I mean, I was literally, I remember it. I'm in my bedroom. It was a bright April day. The sun was coming through and the day was perfect, but I wasn't. And I literally, for the first time in my life, I said, what the fuck am I doing with my life? Not so much my family, my kids and everything, but my career, my vocation. Like, what, what am I, who am I? Like, is this defining me? And, and I had that kind of breakthrough moment where I was like, no, I'm going to use this opportunity. I'm going to change it. And that's when I always talk about it. And if anybody listens to my podcast, I talk about the word tenacity. And we all have it in us. It's some way or another. Some people have it here. Some people have it there. Some people have it here, but you don't know how to pull it up. And it was that moment when I was in my bedroom. I said, no, I'm going to do this. I need to support my family. I need to make the best of this situation here and give this thing a shot. And that's when I went out and I reached out. I remember it was a couple of days, over the course of a couple of days, I reached out to every recruiter that I knew, every recruiter that my friends connected me with. And I went on like on a two week listening tour and I connected with them and I asked them to, you know, give me 15, 20 minutes, tell me about the industry, everything I could learn about it. And it was during that time when I landed my first gig at Onward Search, my first recruiting agency that believed in me. That was a type of recruiting agency that wasn't smile and dial all day long, but understood the value that I was bringing in the relationships. And I was able to align with a mentor that taught me. Adam, can I ask you a question? Did you believe in you? I did. 
I believed in me. And that was a tough one, man, because there was many moments during that time when I won't say that I contemplated hurting myself or going as far as even, you know, suicide or anything like that. But there was some really, really dark moments when I questioned everything about who I am. I questioned my value. That was the lowest point of my life. I, I questioned my ability. It was dark, man. That was some shitty times. And, and the worst part about it was that I was a shitty person to my friends and my family during that time. And they probably said to themselves, hey, Adam's going through a lot right now. Just deal with it. But that's not an excuse. You never want to be like that. And that hurt me even more that I was acting like that to the people I loved and cared about. It sounds very familiar, Adam. I mean, I was about 35. I was, I think, 35 or 36. And I'd had businesses since 99, I think it was, until that was, what, nearly 10, 10 11 years ago now. And um, we'd had the fallout following the GFC, and that had effectively taken the kneecaps out of my group of businesses. And we'd gone from approaching eight figures to barely seven figures and went from a kind of large-ish small business, I suppose, medium-sized business. We shrunk back down and I'm just going all 20 plus years of my working career. What have I got to show for it? A big freaking debt. And you know, this thing happened to me and, and feeling like that victim and a good uh, friend and mentor of mine said, do you feel like you're at rock bottom? And I said, absolutely. I said, I just feel like throwing it all in and going and get a job or, you know, which has got, you know, got a safety net and not that I ever would, but you know, they feel that. And he said, just remember that rock bottom is the most solid foundation you can build on. I was just like, oh, right. That's a that's a good one. You got, I got to write that down because he said you can't go down any further. So yeah, where are you going to go from here? Might as well start building. So I did. I started building. That's when I shifted my own career into this space, into the business education space, and speaking and podcasting. And I'd never done it before. It was a completely different industry. But as you said, when you go through that phase, and yes, I was a prick to other people around me. There's no excuse. It's not okay. That was because I was punishing myself, but I was also punishing others. But it's that thing of when you sometimes to reset, you need to have your cage rattled really, really crazy for you to actually stop, stop doing what you're doing, stop thinking what you're thinking and go, what else? It's a hard thing to do when you're in that mindset and, it, you, and you kind of, you, you have awareness that you're not your best self around other people. And, and I think this is where you start to see the limits of the self-help movement when people talk about affirmations think positive move forward find purpose manifest your shit yeah but there is still this moment where the only thing that works is tenacity resilience you just got to grind through and you just you just are not going to be your best self to anyone and you can't you can't learn that you have to unlock it you have to unlock it yourself you have to be the one to do that no self-help book is going to tell you situational it's situational yeah it's situational. It's funny. And I look back on it now, you know, you look back on it like six, seven years later. I mean, that was the moment to your point, Sean, where literally that was the pivot moment of my life and my career where I haven't looked back. You know, I Gary on my show a few weeks ago and he was talking about confidence. And I said to him, I go, it was that moment when everything changed for me for the better. Yes, I went through those struggles of starting a new profession and there was a learning curve, learning how to be a recruiter, learning how to go from a salary, a very nice six figure salary to a draw to a 40,000 draw and learning what it was like to live on commission. But I think that's another huge piece too. Once I had to go from a salary to a commission where I eat what I kill and I have to hunt, that brought out something else in me from the drive perspective. And that brought out something that I've always had inside of me and just compounded exponentially from a mindset. The fact that the hunter mindset. Yeah, and, and the, that's the great thing about having family as well. I mean, you talk about purpose. When you've got to feed that family something primal, 
starts to happen inside you. It doesn't feel good. It's high stress. You don't sleep well. But something comes out of you and you just, and you always find business. Something always happens. It's, it's incredible. You, like I said, you're putting balls in play. You're putting balls in play. You're throwing things out there, add into the universe. And you know what? It's a boomerang. You throw it out and it's going to come back to you one way or another. It may take a long time for that motherfucker to come back to you, right? But you're going to throw it out there and some come back to you sooner than later. But when you put things out into the universe, energy, vibes, passion, relationship, it's going to come back to you. And you have to have faith and you have to believe in karma because that's real. Just to close the, the conversation, you know, the ability to think out of that hole, the ability to do positive things rather than think positive things and those imperfect first actions because no doubt your first podcast wasn't your best podcast right what did you learn from that that you could share in terms of rebuilding and going from a a zero start up to creating that momentum i think some people think it's like this magical epiphany moment that suddenly you're you're out of this hole and you know i just want to add that to the question yeah, it was, it, was a, it was a journey. It wasn't just a straight line. It was a staircase up. And within that, there was failures. It was falling on my face. There was learning the business. I mean, I went into a new industry. I mean, I accelerated quickly in the recruitment industry because I had a wind at my sail. I didn't go in as a complete rookie. I knew the concept of recruiting. I had relationships already built. I had a Rolodex. I knew the advertising industry that I recruit for which was great. And then it was time four years ago when I went out and launched my own business when I said, screw it, I'm done working for other people. That's when everything really elevated and things really took off. But there was a ton of stumbling blocks along the way. And obviously, every single day that you fail, if you're going to fail, you fail hard, you recover, you learn your lesson, and you and you move forward there. It's all about resiliency. But when it comes to the podcast, man, I mean, we didn't even start with podcasting. I mean, podcasting is is my, my sixth gear. And I told you, Boo, about this too. Like when I went out and said, you know what, I'm going to start a podcast. And you know why I said I wanted to start a podcast? And I'm going to be freaking straight up because I heard other podcasts out there, There's a lot out there and I'm like, they suck. I could do it better. I mean, that was, I mean, like verbatim, like verbatim. I listened to somebody's show and they were getting a decent amount of downloads. And I'm like, this show sucks. They're a shitty host. They're not that good. They have no flow. They don't know how to ask questions. And I went to my Rolodex and I said, look, I have a great group of people here. How do I create something where I could showcase all these relationships and amazing folks that are going to share wisdom with the world? Now it's February, 2019 and almost 200 episodes later, I went from recording on Zoom in a small conference room in a in an office building I was renting at to now having my own office with thousands of dollars of equipment here in two and a half years. I look at that, I'm like a physical manifestation of success, which I haven't seen in my life before. That's a great segue into, into you just mentioned the S word, mate. And one of the challenges with life for a lot of people is feeling success. And the only way people feel success is if they have this continuous promotion, get to the top of a of the tree in a comfortable life, maintain forward momentum, always, always, always until some magic happens. Again, many people in the few, you, you've obviously decided to create your own success, your own version of it. There's something I wanted to kind of double back on, but it applies to what we're talking about right now is the concept of action over perfection. And I think a lot of people fall into this trap where they're trying to perfect something or do something great. And I look back to my first podcast. It was literally recorded on Zoom and the production value was nothing. But I put it out there. I didn't wait till it was perfect. I didn't edit the crap out of it. And, and I just kept going and building and improving it every single time, which was something in my past that maybe I never did. That wasn't like a mindset that I had. And for me, success is a moving target. 
Success for me is consistent improvement. That's how I measure success. It's not, a, it's not a goal line. It's not a finish line. It's just consistently improving. If I know every single day that I'm improving, that I'm doing better, I see the business building, I see more relationships happening, the quality of my product, the quality of my relationships, the quality of my conversation. For me, that is what success is. That I could look back and say, am I happy with what I'm building here? Am I happy with my life? Am I happy with my relationships? Am I healthy? The people around me healthy and feeling good. That's success. You're saying, Adam, as what I'm hearing is success is a state of being, not a state of doing. So you're feeling and living success rather than trying to achieve it by the attainment of something or when I get here or once I've done that, then I'll be successful. Yeah, but one, with one caveat, I'm, I'm not inherently materialistic mm. and I'm not a car guy, but I really want a badass Range Rover. For me, that'll be pretty <laughs> successful. <laughs> I'm not a car guy, but I, the one car I look at it like this guy down the block has one with like the matte black finish on it. Nice, like it's badass, like all blacked out with the black finish, and it's like he rolls down the street to the coffee shop. I'm like, I know it's him, and I see that car. I'm like, hey, there's nothing wrong with that. I've been inspired by good stuff. Yeah, it's great. Yeah, it's motiv- It's motivation. It's motivation. It is. it is. Hey, Sean, interesting here, and I just had a bit of a aha moment was the words that Adam used, and and I've. I've never heard anyone on our podcast say, I want to get ahead. I want to be in front. I want, like it's a race. And, and Adam just said it there. It's about improving all the time. You worked in Adland, Adam. I mean, how acceptable is Adland if you walked up one day and said, here's something I've roughed in together. Yeah, it's not perfect. Hey, you know, let's just have a go. Compared to you living your own success where you can actually do that and evolve and, and control that creative process. Like really successful people succeed from improvement. They don't succeed by getting ahead. People actually improve by bettering the people around them. Surrounding everybody around you, you lift each other up, right? And rising tide lifts all. And I really truly believe in that. You know, Simon Sinek talks about your why, your North Star. And I talk about my North Star on my podcast too, as my compass, as my focal point. But one of the things that I've really latched onto and really means a lot to me is your how. How you go about living, how you go about your relationships, how do you live every day? And that comes down to something Gary Vee says all the time, doing the right thing all the time is the, is the right thing, is the only way. How you live your life. And I think that's, you know, critically important. And it goes back to Adland. And one of the things I hated about it, and, and it's weird to say it, but it was a grimy business because recruiting is a, there's parts of recruiting that are a terrible, slimy business. I mean, I moved away from that element of recruiting, but you go back to Adland and it was cutthroat. You know, it was cutthroat. I mean, I, I was talking to you guys before air. There was a point that really hit home of why I hated Adland. I was a, a number of years back. I was at a great agency. It was literally my favorite advertising job I've ever had because of the people I worked with and the work that I was doing. I was doing meaningful work with people I enjoyed doing it with. And one of our clients, they moved some numbers around in the budget. They decided to cut the portion of work that our company was supporting. And 25 of us got let go a week before Christmas. They couldn't even wait till after the holidays. That's brutal. So what would have that have cost payroll-wise for another two weeks just so people didn't have to have that shitty feeling around the holidays and New Year's? And that really, like to this day, I, I've not gotten over that. And I know who's responsible for that. I know where the decisions were made. And like, not that I hold grudges, but I, I know, I know, I know, we know everything, man. <laughs> yeah, it's, I've recently made a good friend who was like a creative director at BBDO and very ingrained in ad world from a very young age. He's in his 50s now. And talking to him and, and hearing it from you, he just said the world is, ad world is absolutely brutal. Why is it? What, why is that industry the way it is? Because we're beholden to the client. 
We're beholden to the client's budgets, to their decisions. And, and you're selling you're, dreams? You're, you're, you're selling dreams. Like, how is this? How, how am I marketing this bottle of water? If it, like, if this doesn't make Dasani Pepsi 1.01 cents more in their stock or whatever, they're going to dump the whole campaign. It's brutal. It's brutal. It's also subjective. Creative is subjective. Unless you're running tests in market and saying there's a direct correlation between this commercial on TV and exactly the number of sales, it's completely subjective. And when it comes down to opinions, that's where it's going to be contentious. It's opinions and it's, it's, it's BS, man. And I'm glad I'm out of it. What was the biggest lesson they took away from that space? Don't trust anybody, no. But um, <laughs> be careful with your heart. And I mean that from a business perspective, not on the personal side. We all hear that too. Be careful of your heart. And I mean that in business to never get so emotionally attached to something in business. Well, until now, but when you're working for somebody else, always remember that it's somebody else's business. It's somebody else's company. And don't let your heart get attached to it because you'll be broken like that. And they'll stomp on it and not give a shit. That's a really interesting perspective as well because there's a big movement towards purpose. And, and Sean, with your community, you talk a lot about purpose and commitment and consistency, which is quite easy when you own a business and it's your business, right? That's, it's easier to connect there. But when you're in a big business or you've got employees, right, that don't really care, or, uh, they might line up to your purpose to some degree, but it's not their purpose. How do you do that? Because you, what you're saying there is like, it's counterculture, keep your heart safe. Whereas cultural norm now is all about invest your full self into the organization. You know, you need to do purposeful work. There's a balance there, right? Like I, I speak to a lot of uh, candidates, recruiters, and they're like, they want to do cause marketing, social good. And that, there's one thing that that's taking it to a limit saying, I only want to work at a company for like, a, maybe it's an MPO, NGO, maybe it's a, you know, a non-for-profit company that's doing social causes, social goods. That's great. That's following your passion. But always remember at the end of the day, that it's not your company. Right. So you could attach yourself and drive your passion to a certain point. And maybe I'm being cynical because my heart's been stomped on and I've had some terrible hurt and losses in business. But what I'm trying to tell people is put your all out there, but just be mindful. Right. Like just be mindful at the end of the day, but not till now. And this brought up an interesting point. So you said, so now I have my own company and I have people working for me full time. At the end of the day, no one's going to care more about your company than yourself. But how do you ensure that the people that work for you care as much as possible? And that's what I'm learning right now. I have a great guy, Kevin, that works for me. I want him to believe in me as much as I believe in him. And that's the way I, I got brought up by some of my great mentors. I believe in him. I invest in him emotionally. I invest in him, teaching him. And I think that's really what culture and value is, that I care about him. And I've created a tribe of mentors around me. And I've done that through careful curation of aligning myself with folks who I see them in their career trajectory. And it may not be the exact path I want to go, but I deeply admire how they got there and what they did to get there and who they are as a person. And I learn from them. Some of them are from afar. We take like a Gary Vee. And then some of them are close. Some of them are far through osmosis, but I still have connections with them. And then there are the people that are really close to me that are my close tribe of mentors. The part that I struggle with mentorship, I'm curious to you guys, is, is a mentee, how do you give value back to the mentor? And what I've learned through mentoring is it's that feeling of giving that you can't create. It's that, I find it too. I mean, that's what I do. I run a, have a group of you know, hundred businesses where I mentor them. And what, for me, the biggest thing that fills my cup is the fact that I'm taking all of this bullshit that I experience, punches in the guts, the GFCs, the heart being stomped on, you know, all the rest of it, all that stuff. And it's like, why did I go through that if I can't 
teach somebody else how not to go through it as heavily or as, you know, for as long as I did. That's one of those things about teaching people and mentoring others is so, so rewarding. It's so much bigger than myself. And I love uh, Dan Pink's book, Drive, where he talks about the three human drivers. You know, it's autonomy, the ability to feel in control of your own destiny in some way. Mastery, which is, uh, you know, being able to learn and grow and be better tomorrow than you were today, a better version of yourself. And purpose, which is being part of something bigger than yourself. And going from having my head up the backside of many businesses that were growing and that were successful and they sold widgets and things and whatever they did, I had no interest in what they were selling. And eventually it was like, I don't want to grow businesses. I want to grow people. And I found that was very much the case. And it's, and Boo, you'd, you'd know this too, is that I think every single person we've had on this podcast who is out there living their purpose, their passion, enjoying what they're doing, driving their own success, all that sort of stuff. They are the type of people that have surrounded themselves by other great people that they've got mentors, but they're also willing to share and be generous with others. That's a, it's a tremendous observation. And another aha moment that I had recently was, you know, I've had people underneath me when I was, you know, earlier in my career. And then in the last four years, while I was learning up the ropes in recruiting and launching my own business, I didn't have anyone underneath me. And now that I have a protege, I'm finally coming into my own as a people leader. And I'm taking parts of all the good that I've learned from some amazing mentors in my life, but I'm also doing something, I'm being very mindful of a lot of those shitty bosses that I had and trying to be very mindful of not repeating those mistakes. I've caught myself. And the other, the other piece that's kind of hard for me too as a business owner is scaling. And I'm learning how to scale and scale, and you guys know this, is being able to relinquish trust and control, saying something that I do all the time, I'm going to give this up and let somebody else do it. And I know it may not be exactly the way I do it or to the exact level I want, but you know what? I need to do this so they could grow. And that's been a big lesson for me is how I scale up as a business owner is to relinquish trust and give others the ability you know, to take the ball and run with it. Yeah, I think that's the biggest challenge for small business owners and, and startups and growth is the founder becomes the limiting factor because they don't do that, because they don't empower the team. You can live, you know, 400 scenarios of your business in one day in your own mind, but to try and align everyone else behind those 400 things, you've got to distill that down to one thing at a time. And that, I think that's what more and more as I study leadership, you look at the profound leaders, they, they really just rallied around one thing and they, they drive the narrative back to that, that one thing. And I think in, I guess the downside of it at the moment is everyone has an, we're getting more extreme one thing. So we're seeing a, a gravitation away towards that, whereas the one thing we probably all need to focus around is you know, empathy. <laughs> Just be a little bit forgiving of, of, of everyone. And because you work with people, Adam, and we're, in, we're moving into a digital era, so one of the things I'm really interested to hear about is you know, where do people fit in to the digital world? Yeah, it's, it's a really interesting one during the pandemic here with everything going remote. We're losing that personal touch. I mean, we're moving so rapidly and forced into this era of, of non-personal, personal communications. It's crazy. We're all living in silos. We're all living in these square boxes here. And we're losing that human contact. And that hurts me. You know, that really hurts me inside because I, I love being in an office. I'm not saying that's for everybody. And I'm not going to go off on a, on a rant here of why being in an office for at least part of the time is good for human beings. But we're not meant to live in these silos. And I'm really concerned about how we are devolving, not evolving as humans as far as communication, where we're relying on these hacks and these shortcuts. It's connection. We're missing connection. That's, that's one of our core fundamental traits as a human is that we have a need for connection. Physical contact. 
I mean, we're going to look back on this time. It's going to be harmful. And you think about it, you know, how is this affecting the younger generations, our kids? Thank God my kids are back at school. But so many are not. And we're not meant to live like this in silos. So where do people fit in? And that's a tough one, right? Fitting in. I, I, I never really liked the, the term culture fit. That was one of my big kind of thorns in my side when, you know, when I would talk to a company and onboarding and a new client and like, you know, we want to look for people who are culture fit. Well, what the hell does that mean? You're looking for people that look, act, and sound like you? I say, no way. What you really want is to create a company that's a quilt. And if you think about a quilt, I don't know if your grandmother made quilts back in the day, but quilts are made up of many different fabrics, different textiles, different colors, different materials. And when you put them all together, some are thin, some are thicker, different colors, different strings. But when you put them all together, a couple things happen. They become a lot stronger together. And when you pull back the camera, it creates this beautiful picture. And that's what a company should look like. It should look like a quilt and not a comforter. I just, oh, that's a new one. I'm going to write that down. It's a good analogy because when you have that, you focus and work harder on the joints, on the connections. You build more robust relationships between them rather than just have this vanilla type of fabric which can tear easily in the digital age especially now that information is all pervading the interconnectedness and context is where where you have to see a new future and, and where people have to play the role so think about the word diversity and i think diversity is, is you know kind of just talk about diversity for a moment i think the most important diversity within a company is diversity of mindset diversity of perspective diversity of thought I mean, of course you want diversity of, of color, sexual orientation, and all that kind of good stuff too, but it's diversity of mindset. When you say culture fit, you're saying everyone should think and act the same. What value you bring into your clients? Zero perspective. I think the reference is, as you say, the reference is not a great, great one. Where I said is you need people that are aligned from a values perspective because they, they'll fit in with the quilt analogy, right? They'll fit in with that. But you don't want them, as as you said, Boo, to be vanilla, all the same, minions all kind of wandering along, doing the same thing. You need that uniqueness, that different perspective, the different backgrounds, the, the different experiences to really throw, uh, I don't use it, the fruit salad analogy. You know, if someone comes and goes with an idea and says banana, which you're not thinking about, and then someone goes an apple and someone says an orange and someone goes, hang on, what about a fruit salad? Because you've got everyone who just thinks about bananas. Well, you're never going to get to this new idea, this new concept of something different because of those different perspectives. And I liken it to a process we do in a circle group every every quarter. We do one of the days of our three-day events is a mastermind process. And you have you know about six businesses around a table all working on one business's biggest issue or opportunity. And the kinds of information and, and ideas and creativity that comes from that, I think is the same. You've got to look at that with your team. You're having a team meeting of some kind. You want that mastermind kind of feel of, different backgrounds and input. It's such a powerful, powerful thing. Absolutely, right? And you and you want to have those perspectives. And the problem from a leadership is when the leader tries to trump that conversation with their own thoughts saying, this is the final, <laughs> final decision for, then it's coming from me. Yeah, this is not a, a dictatorship, but I'm doing it my way. <laughs> Absolutely. How would you describe yourself as a leader, Adam, to your team now? I think that I want to be the type of leader that leads with compassion, that leads with an open heart, that leads with empathy, and that listens. I think something that I've really had to work on in my personal and professional life is listening. And listening is a skill. Listening is a muscle memory. And I'll even kind of give you an example of that. So when my first, I'd say, 10, 15 episodes of the podcast, of the podcast, some of the feedback that I got from really trusted friends and former colleagues was, Adam, you're talking over your guests. You're not listening to what they're saying. 
And instead, you're just going down your own path, your own agenda of your bullet points on your show that you want to get to. And once I listened to that feedback and let it sink in, that's when the show changed. And I was able to listen to the guest and be able to go off script. If the guest is saying something interesting to synthesize it and have a follow-up line of questions that made for a more interesting show. And I started to apply that more to my everyday life from that learning lesson from the podcast early days. And now it's a game changer. I mean, listening is a huge game changer and it's made me a better leader and keeping my ear to the ground. And I want to be known as a leader that trusts my employees. You want to be the type of leader that people want to work for. And in turn, I want to be the type of leader that works for my employees. That's the dynamic that you want. It's funny with leadership, isn't it? Because it's so... You think you are a certain type of leader and you have a particular idea and then something happens and you're like, wow, you know what? I, I can do a much better job here. Or I, I th- an area where I'm really interested in, in humanity is perceptions, right? Mm. This instantaneous biased viewpoint we have on everything that we can't control. And, and that unconscious bias. Yeah. And that, that then triggers the conscious side of our, of our thoughts and reading into this, this concept of situational awareness you have these eight phases of thought and the first one being perception. I think once you realize that, once you realize you are able to put a blocker in there and quickly say, okay, well, is that really happening or is that just a, a perception? The only way you can do that is having someone else, someone else on your team to, to either red team that or, or break that down. There's no other way. And that, that's for me in leadership is, is that as leaders, I think you've got to find that wingman, that number two, that, even if it's your wife, your partner, whoever it is, just someone to just check those perceptions around what's influencing your decision-making. Yeah, you, you need to have Goose, right? You need to have your, your wingman there because as leaders, we have blinders on and we can't see our blind spots. And I think that's the most important thing is to be able to empower other folks on your team to have an open door or an open Zoom call to be able to say, hey, Adam, I don't know if you're noticing this. I don't know if you're seeing this in the marketplace. I don't know. Did you have that same thought and feeling and read between the lines from that last client meeting? And being able to create an environment where there's trust there, where Sean could come to me and say, Adam, like I listened to what the client said there, and I, I just want to make sure that you and I are on the same page. If you create an environment like that, not only are you going to make each other better in that relationship, but you're going to make your company better. That's a leadership skill and style that I think not enough people actually have. And I like the fact what you said before. It's humble. It's humility, right? That's right. It does. Absolutely. And I created a leadership definition. It's an exercise I, I use with, with all of my clients and members and stuff, get them to do it too. It's creating the actual definition of leadership. And I think it's about seven years ago now I created mine, which is really stuck, which is I just describe myself or who I aspire to be as humble, authentic, and vulnerable. Got nothing to do with dictatorship or telling people what to do or being bossy or whatever. But I like when you referenced before, you said someone gave you feedback about the podcast that you were just running your questions and weren't actually listening, but you took it on board and it changed not only that, but it actually changed how you show up. And I think that's where people think leadership is a role that you play in your business or in an organization. If you work in an organization for somebody else, it's not the leadership is the skin that you wear. It's who you are in every situation. And if we ensure we're embedding that and and got the right reference point, we're going to end up showing up as that person people perceive as being the rock, that consistent person. It doesn't matter whether you're at a barbecue or in the office or catch up with someone, you bump into them at a football game or baseball game or something. You're the same person. You don't shift and waver in the breeze, you know, like you, you, it's really solid. So I love the fact that you've actually you know, said that you've applied something you learned from a feedback on the podcast and you've carried it right through your entire life. 
And that's not something I would have done 15 years ago. That was a very different Adam back then who would just shrug it off and, and not take any constructive feedback. And I think another lesson that I learned from leaders that were great to me is the ability to provide air cover, right? To be able to cover your team's ass if they make a mistake, to stand up for them. The loyalty there. We're all on the same team. You're not going to throw them under the bus just for the sake of saving your business. I, I had an amazing leader who one time I was presenting a, a piece of strategy and she said to me, listen, when you're presenting it, have a strong point of view, whether it's right or wrong, but stick to your convictions and be able to back it up. Let others decide, but I'm going to stick by you and I'm going to back you up and I'm going to have your ass. I'm going to cover your ass. And that stuck with me too. That loyalty and loyalty, like I, I'm a very loyal friend. I mean, I'm almost loyal to a, a fault at times, but that's something I look for in my friends. It's like something I look for in my personal relationships. And I think it goes, a, it goes a long way. The worst thing you could do to me is throw me under the bus. You screw me once, we're done. That's where people's inability to, to deal with, you know, that's their own shit if they want to throw under the bus because they're not willing to take responsibility. They're not willing to own it. No, no, no. I think there's an erosion though. Like there's an erosion in loyalty because we have this snap culture where it's like, well, I can just DM someone. I've got a new friend. I can just turn my dating apps on. I can find someone new. Like, like the digital world is really eroding some of those old fashioned values, but, but maybe that'll create awareness and a, and a flight back to them. I'm not, I don't know. I think we could hope. You would see in recruiting, right? Like you would, just the churn of people now in every industry. Oh, my God. I mean, you want to rant here? I have seen more times in the last year of candidates accepting offers verbally, signing offer letters. We as recruiters stop the search because someone signed the offer letter. And then they have a two-week period before they start. So we, we haven't sourced. We haven't done anything. The team is happy. Someone's coming on board. And then a day before, sometimes day of, they call and say, hey, I'm sorry. I have to turn this offer down because I've accepted another offer. Yeah, that's frustrating. So you mean to tell me this whole time you were still out there shopping yourself because this wasn't good enough? Do you know what you did to the team internally? This team here has been down two people for a year. These people are working twice as hard, three times as hard, and they get excited because they just hired somebody who's awesome, who's going to make their life easier because they don't have to do someone else's job who's vacant. Do you realize what you just did? Now, the other side of the coin is what people are saying is, listen, in this day and age, you got to look out for yourself. You got to do what's right for you, no matter what cost whatsoever. But loyalty has gone out the window. Then don't sign that offer letter. If you're not sure, if you're not 100%, don't sign that offer letter. Like, where is that finality? Where's your word bond? What happened to word is bond? That's right. That's that. I was about to say exactly the same thing. It's like, my word is my bond seems to not exist. It's like- It's, it's evaporated. Yeah, it's my bond until uh, something better comes along and then I'm going to throw it out the window. And it's like, where is that core integrity of- you actually standing for something or believing in something or honoring your commitments. And, you know, I've definitely seen that eroded. In the, it'd been eroded a lot in the employment market. I know I'm not sure if it's the same in the U S as it, as it is here in Australia, we've got a very, very tight skilled employment market. And um, we're seeing people at the drop of a hat or the wind changes, they'll be just up and move to somewhere else. Cause they get an extra $1 an hour or something. And it's just like, what? Like really you've got this incredible business with a great culture and you've gone this other one that, as known for being a bunch of morons who don't do the right thing by people, but oh, I get an extra dollar an hour, so I don't really care. You know? These people are never going to end up in meaningful leadership roles. They're not going to end up changing the world, right? Because the people that do... They're transactional. Yeah, the, the people that do, they've got that deeper level of commitment and performance. So much of what you do, Adam, so much of what you do, Shawnee, and, and what I do is, is grind, right? So much of it is bits of detail that no one else really wants to do. And even when you hire people to do them, they don't want to do them and you end up not doing it all the time, but you just end up polishing, you know, polishing off a, a little bits of work here. So, you know, it's, 
this is the differentiator between the few is the ability to commit commit to the dark side as much as you do the light side and and accept the yin and yang of life you, you're not actually starting a business or going out on yourself to pursue rainbows you're looking for the rainbow as well as digging the trenches it's a journey man the journey is a success and one thing i just want to add to that is success and that's what's showing when you plant the seeds the analogy i always give i'm a farmer i plant my seeds i water my crops i tend to my crops Make sure they're getting enough light and love. And when the time is right, I'm going to pick them, I'm going to harvest them, and they're going to be ripe, and they're going to be bounties going to be plentiful. You can't just plant the seed and expect it to sprout up the next day. And the people that don't understand that are the ones that are going to lose. You may see what seems to be the optics of short-term success, but it's not. It's all smoke and mirrors. The real work takes time. That's right. There's no substance. There's no substance and no depth to it. It's like saying, right, I'm going to learn guitar, right? So you pick it up for three weeks to do guitar. And then I'm going to learn piano and then I'm going to learn trumpet and then there's something else. Yeah. You may have tried to learn all these things, but you're never going to master any. And the, the mastery of anything is about that grit, about that determination, about continuing to do something that you committed to doing, even when the motivation and excitement is passed. Not everyone could do it. Only the, only the few, only the, the few could do between that. Between someone with grit and tenacity and someone without it. Only the few get to the top of the pyramid. I was just reading some studies done by Clayton Christensen, who's a guruistic uh, Harvard professor. And he's talking about successful product launches, you know, f- talk about ad agencies. And out of 30,000 product launches that he studied, only 1,500 successfully launched and made money. So 5%, right? And then I was, I was looking at another statistic that the digital world burns $2 trillion a year on mistakes and failed products. It's a mind-boggling number, but working in big organizations around performance, one of the things that I just, I always find baffling is we talk about goal setting and and you sit there and you talk about goal setting and you come to the end of the quarter and you're like, well, how did we go? And and no one achieved the goals. And they're like, no, great. It was really good. I said, but we didn't achieve our goals. And they're like, oh no, we reset them all. We brought all the goals down to equal where we got to. And they said, oh, that's what we always do because of all the external staff and, you know, because sometimes, and I'm like, what's the point of them? That's terrible. Multi-billion dollar organizations that somehow nail their 12-month strategy. And you're like, how did you do that? Oh, we just made some adjustments to the targets. And it's like, you know, and you sit there and you and you just, you just realize why that is a beige gray world where there is very little authenticity because it's, there's nothing to it. There, there is no real engagement with the heart. Everyone works really hard, but they're kind of lost as to what good looks like. So how do you how do you do that, Adam? How do you keep stretching yourself? How do you not make those decisions and quit? You just hold yourself to a higher standard, and that's what you have to do. And I mean, it kind of goes back to action and perfection, where there's a balance. You want to keep things moving forward, but you want to keep yourself to a higher standard. Because in recruiting, how am I going to separate myself? I'm a dime a dozen. There's millions of people that do what I do out there. And the way I could do it is stay competitive, build good relationships, deliver a superior quality product, and deliver exceptional customer service. So if I keep those metrics in mind and everything that I do and aim to those and use that as my guardrails, and I'm going to be successful. Am I going to fall off sometimes? Am I going to have shitty days? Am I going to have days when I'm not am I on my A game? Of course. But if I always have front of mind to deliver a superior quality product and not take shortcuts, right? The, the, the naval commander, I forgot his name in the States here, the famous commencement speech where it's like accomplish one thing a day, right? To make your bed every day. It's the first thing you could do, right? Like have that accomplishment, get that win under your belt and set the standard. I'm going to do something right. I'm going to do it the first time. 
I'm going to do it well, and that's going to set me off for the day and keep everything in that direction. So you have to keep yourself and set to a higher standard. And that took a lot for me. I wasn't like that. Dude, early in my life, I would take so many shortcuts. I would half-ass everything, and it got me nowhere. But then when I started to put in the work and do things the right way and said, I'm going to, I'm going to build my show the right way. I'm going to try things and, and, you know, try to, try to up the standards here, deliver a better quality product, put in that extra time. That's when you see the real results. That's how you differentiate yourself out there. You can't shortcut success. And if someone's on the pathway, they want to become one of the few, can't do it. I want to ask a question. So you've obviously uh, seen a lot, been around the traps, you know, for, for different careers, different industries, different cultures, all the rest of it. If you could take one of your biggest lessons, maybe more than one, but the, the biggest lessons that you've learned in your life to date and go back and teach it to a younger version of yourself, what would you teach yourself? Oh, man. Well, it goes back to what I was saying about, about listening, but it really comes down to structure and staying focused. And one of the biggest lessons I learned from a mentor of mine, my first mentor in recruiting, a gentleman by the name of Tom Hall, a very tactical piece of, of advice is plan your work and work your plan. Plan your work and work your plan. And I repeat that to myself, that mantra, every single morning when I turn on this computer and the manifestation of that every day, I go through thousands of post-its or post-its. I literally write down what I need to accomplish for the day. And it's not so much about scratching every one of these off, but I look down on it and I see that I'm going through and getting my things done that I set out to plan. And that's what keeps me focused. At the end of the day, if I take this notepad, there's days when I rip these up and I have four of them on my desk. And I could physically see, literally see the accomplishments. And there's other days when there's one line on there, but at least I know I made one effort because curveballs are going to come. Life is going to come. But it's about staying focused. And that's something I didn't always have in my life, but I do now. So repeat that mantra, plan your work, work your plan. Works backwards too. Work your plan, plan your work. Works both ways. Yeah, that's great. Love it. Big part of what, what we teach. And I, I use a little whiteboard for mine <laughs> instead of post-it notes. I just put it on the whiteboard. I, I have a lot of satisfaction in rubbing it off. I've got all the technology we use, you know, we've got ClickUp, we've got a whole planning and execution framework that we use, all the digital stuff, but it's very interesting and maybe I'm showing my age or something, but there's something about writing it down and then either scrunching it up or crossing it off um, it is, and more effective. It's a physical act of it that connects to your brain. There's no substitute for getting off digital now, I think. I think more than ever, you've got to have your little bits of paper and what are we going to talk about and... Nothing's going to distract you halfway through that. I print out my show notes. Yeah, I mean, for my podcast, I print out all my show notes and because I need to see it in front of me. There are certain things that have to be analog. Our brains are so wired digitally that in order for you to break through that pattern and for something to sink in, you have to figure out how to break it. So if everything I have in my life is digital and I'm notes in my iPhone section, if I want something to really resonate and be important, I have to physically write it down to make the difference. So hack your life. I think you feel detached if you try and put everything digitally. That's why whiteboards, getting on a whiteboard and brainstorming stuff and, and you know, or flip chart paper or whatever it is, is such a powerful creative tool that I think particularly younger generation who have been exposed to digital all their lives, you've got to get the hell off it sometimes and actually go back to that visceral experience, the physical experience. Man, my son can't even write. He writes what resembles letters and you just sit there. He's like 15. He's like, oh, well, I don't write that. Hey, but Adam, here's what I want to ask you. I've just started working with Publicist Group. Yeah, they actually, they reached out from New York, the head of talent, and they said, hey, we want to talk about performance. I delivered a, uh, a, a deep performance keynote there. And one of the key elements of that is the rule of threes, right? Just don't do more than three things a day, a week, a month, a quarter, a year. 
it was it was interesting in in the ad world. They're like, how could you possibly do that? They're like, I have to do a hundred things every day. And they're like, how do you do it? And it's like, well, I just write it down on a piece of paper. And it was like a, ah. Let's write it down. Yeah. I use the old noggin. But I mean, that's an important one too. I think in this digital age, we're always on, we're always accessible. You have to figure out how to literally and metaphorically, you have to figure out how to block and tackle your day. Otherwise, you're going to be scatterbrained and distracted. You have to figure out focus. I'm going to use this time for that. Shut windows down, shut notifications off. That's how you remain productive. You only get tactical about it. And that wraps up another episode of The Few. Thank you to our partners, Afterburner, for team building, development, and alignment. We understand now how important it is to have the right people around you. Get them on board with where you want to go. Momentum Media, the largest industry publisher in the country, connecting your business to the Australian community. ICMI, Australia's premier speaker bureau, representing the few that do fulfill their life's purpose. And finally, Sean's Inner Circle, the business coaching organization for small and medium enterprises looking to make that next step. Thanks again for listening in and downloading today. Please leave a review on whatever platform you are currently listening to this podcast and reach out to our partners who can help you make the transition to the few. Absolutely. I'm a very much a, an, an anti-notification person. It's one of the biggest distractions you'll ever freaking have and remove them. Turn them all off pretty much. The only notifications I have on my phone are sports scores. <laughs> <laughs> I'm serious. Awesome, Adam. That's been super insightful, mate. We've been able to reach. Well, it's still we're still in lockdown. Why don't we just quickly close out? What the hell's going on over there in terms of COVID? We have to have these conversations because one day it'll be over. We need to we need to like have a little time capsule of of what life was like in COVID. I'm not even shitting you. It's like nothing is wrong here in Long Island, except for the fact that the kids are wearing masks. And occasionally I get an email, not occasionally, every day I get an email that another, there's a COVID case in the school. And if the classroom it is, it gets quarantined and they figure it out, but we're living life and I'm kind of okay with it. You know, I understand what COVID means to get it. We're vaccinated and we're really trying to live our life and go on. Strip away the politics of it. Just remember from a science perspective, you know, really think about what this means. You want to protect your elderly. You want to protect the people that are susceptible. You want people around you to get vaccinated be smart take care of each other make smart decisions right like it's still kind of warm here like we try to eat outside i'm not going inside movie theaters maybe we'll eat inside a restaurant but we're really just trying to live life and i think that's the, the mindset you have to take in my opinion because otherwise we're just going to live the rest of our lives paranoid and that's not the way i want to live or i don't want my kids to think that's the norm my kids are at this malleable age i don't want that i hope you guys get back to that point too I was envious when you guys, literally, I remember they, they showed a, an, an Aussie football game in the middle of the pandemic here when we were all in freaking lockdown. I'm like, that's a full soccer stadium. <laughs> what is that like? But it was great. This summer, we went back to concerts, right? Like, we did it. We went to baseball games. I'm very glad I've moved to Queensland about three years ago because we've had about five minutes of lockdown, and we've been very, very lucky here in Queensland. You know, we've had a few weeks. We've had about six weeks to start with, another couple of weeks, but... Yeah, they've had to close the border because too many people are trying to move here so that they had enough space for them. So they shut the border to stop people moving here for a while. But then Sydney, which has now been a couple of months in lockdown, Melbourne that's had the longest lockdown in the world, longer than any other place in the world they've been locked down for, which is just horrible. But it's just so, so disparate. I mean, my brother lives in LA. He's given me some of the rundown as he's been going through that process over there. It's really, we've, we've got to go back, as you said, to treating life again as normal to socialize, to, to connect, to engage with other people and to not set that standard. My kids as well, I've, you know, my kids are 12 and nine and they've spent, you know, like yours, 18 months in this 
environment with you know all this weird stuff going on and and lack of choice and having people wearing masks everywhere and all this sort of stuff and hopefully it goes back to some normality soon and and that they go back to not perceiving that that is normal because I'd, I'd hate to think that's life. They created this weird rule in New South Wales that kids were allowed to have two friends that they that they can hang out with, oh. and you would think, oh, that's nice, they get to hang out with their friends, but it actually created all of this angst because all of a sudden every kid had to figure out who their two they best could friends choose were. their friends. Yeah, and and you know when right. when you're 11 years old, right, and you're you're the third friend or you're the friend that's being fought over, it created this this real tension. This prescriptive humanity is the, the downside of, of COVID here. The disease is one thing, but all of these other social impacts, it's going to be really, look, I'm sure those human beings will just figure it out. We'll just plot on, right? Keep going. But but for now, yeah, it presents some really bizarre challenges. It's been fun, guys. I appreciate it. What do you guys got going on the rest of the day? I'm going to go home. I got to give my kids a bath because my wife's out to dinner. I got to have some dinner and uh, put these little suckers to bed soon, which is always fun. Well, it's time to start the day. We started a nice early one today to, to make sure that it worked for you across uh, across the other side of the world. It's the worst time zones. Eastern time, Aussie time. It is literally pulling teeth. And I, and I appreciate it. Next time I'll do the morning shift. And I, I tell you guys, I haven't been over. I haven't been down there. It's definitely on our list. And hopefully in a couple of years, uh, I don't know if my three and a half year old's ready right now to take a you know 30 hour <laughs> plane ride. Maybe we have to do a little stop in LA, but uh, <laughs> we want to get down there and explore. That's oh, beautiful down here, mate. We got great, great to uh, show you the sights. Awesome, Poz. Thanks so much for coming on the show, mate. Really appreciate it. Thanks, guys. I appreciate it. And uh, to all your listeners, be sure to connect with me on LinkedIn. You can check out the podcast, podcast.com, and uh, happy to chat with anybody. This has been The Few Podcast with Boo and Sean. If you've got value from this episode and you would like to support us, please share it with your friends. If you're posting this on social media, use the hashtag The Few so we can see who's listening. The Few Podcast is recorded at Momentum Media in Sydney, Australia. To listen to more episodes, visit us at fewpodcast.com and make sure you subscribe so you never miss an episode. Dream big, keep pushing, and one day you can become one of The Few. We'll see you next week.